Listener Production. Fail with Greta Lee Jackson, where I speak to well-known and successful people about moments where they failed and it eventually turned into something that helped them on the road to success. Everyone has their phobias. At least, I'd like to believe they do. Mine is blood. Anything related to the circulatory system, actually. Blood, veins, arteries. I'm getting faint just talking about it. Once... I accidentally slapped a nurse while getting blood taken before surgery. That's how bad it is. But I'm also a sucker for anything related to true crime, so try and figure that one out. My friend Sarah likes to say when she introduces me to new people, this is Greta, she loves murder but she can't get a blood test. How messed up is that? In my last year of uni, I had to pick up some extra credit classes and being the murder-obsessed ghoul that I am, I saw a course called Witches and Wellness, A Guide to Medieval Health Practices and Their Dire Consequences. Oh, did you say dire consequences? I'm in. So it's the first day of class and I'm sitting in a chair in the lecture hall and the last thing I remember is the lecturer showing a slide of a medieval woodcut, so very simplistic black and white illustration, depicting the process of oh, bloodletting. Phew. It's touch and go here right now, guys. So I suggest you Google that if you're interested in what it is because I won't be able to explain it without passing out because that's exactly what I did. The next thing I remember after seeing the slide is waking up with everyone in the lecture hall staring at me and the girl next to me said, dude, you just fainted. So much to my embarrassment, she helped me outside while the full lecture hall watched. Once I was outside, I sat on the grass and I thanked the girl who helped me as she went back into class. And what do you do when you're sick at school? You call your mum, which I did. As soon as she answered, I told her what happened and her response was, oh, you're not bloody pregnant, are you? I wasn't, but I think I know where I get my attraction to dire consequences from. Fail! Jackie Loeb is the definition of a performer. And yet it's difficult to define exactly what kind of performer she is because she's mastered so many facets. One of the few times I've genuinely laughed uncontrollably at a stand-up comedy set has been watching Jackie. And the next minute, she's shredding a guitar and singing in a way that makes you shut up and pay attention. But despite being such a powerhouse on stage, Jackie also has a shy and reclusive side that I think I only got to see because we shared a flat in LA together. And I was grateful for her stability and kindness then, and I want to know if she's on the way to achieving the dreams she's worked so hard for. I finished high school and then I wanted to be an actor. I just wanted to act, just wanted to perform. And, you know, I auditioned for NIDA three times and didn't get in. I thought, what am I going to do? And I thought, I don't want to work. I can't, can't." the the thought of working in a regular job was was just killing me. So I thought, oh, I need to go to uni. I need to go and study. But I did my marks wasn't my mark wasn't my marks my marks wasn't very good. <laughs> my HSC mark was really not very good because I didn't do a lot of academic subjects. My mark was scaled down. So I went for so many job interviews. And I remember applying for a course where your mark wasn't an issue. It was like the Catholic Catholic oh, yeah. University where you could do a degree in in 
physical education. And I'm so not a physical person. I just thought I don't care. I applied for art school. I didn't, with my submission, I did a collage. This is before internet and digital cameras and all that business. I did a collage of like my cat and dog. So I got all these, took some really bad photos and like an instant camera. It's really sad. You look really sad for me. And I would just glue them, glue them next to another on a piece of 20 cents cardboard. So that was one of my submissions. And then I was too cheap to buy a big canvas. So I bought a little canvas and I did this. I remember I drew, drew a, a picture of a baby with a bib and the bib said something like, I don't know what it said, something like, I'm a baby, I'm making a mess or something stupid like that. <laughs> not even ironic, just nothing, nothing, just dumb shit because I'm not, an, I'm not a visual artist. Didn't get into art school and then I got into an acting school out in Western Sydney, at University of Western Sydney, Pene, which was amazing and I was once again so excited. I thought I'm going to be doing something I love every single day. This is going to be incredible and in some regard it really truly was incredible. And then I got to the end of the second semester, first year, and they failed me on performance and I was like, what? But this is what I, all I've ever wanted to do. And it was like a part of me had died. Like I felt like they'd killed me. It was horrible. And once again I was like hysterical and truly very up. I don't know if I'd call it depression, but it, it felt it certainly felt like I was depressed and really sad for a number of weeks. Um, I know people struggle with depression all their lives, but it was so intense and so horrible and I felt like such a fucking failure, you know. So... But all that meant was taking six months off and I had to come back and repeat the semester, which I did do, and then I you finished my course and I graduated. But for me at the time, so I think I carried that. So I carried that experience into full frontal with that, with a, with a worthiness and I think I've carried that my whole life, up that that one experience. And it's, it's probably, you know, I, I, I've been very fortunate. I've had a lovely, lovely childhood. I can't think of anything that was damaging where I think, oh, why, why do I feel um, lesser than? Why don't I feel worthy? Why don't, and I mean, I do feel worthy. It's not that I think that I'm, I'm, I'm shit. I have, a, I, at times I, I have all the confidence in the world and I, th- I think I'm absolutely amazing. You are. I, I sometimes do feel that, but I think when I I've was... I've seen you on stage and just been but, blown but, away. No, but some, Stop trying was, to shut me up, Jackie. No, 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 when I was younger, I'm talking more when I was younger, right? So I think that experience at uni and being asked to take six months off was very, very damaging for me and I got over it. I got over myself, as you do. And, but then I did, when I went to full front, I was very conscious of that because it was only like a couple of years after and I'm thinking, oh, my God, I've got to prove myself. I'm constantly being They assessed. could fail me. They could fail, they could fail me. And um, I, that's thankfully starting, it started to dissipate where the only person that's going to fail me is me. That's right. <laughs> that, I know that sounds no dumb. No one can fail me so anymore. True. It's so true. Yeah. No, that, no one can anymore. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's in your hands. Yes, like, yes. Like you can't help something that happens to you externally. You no. can't help that. No. But it's your responsibility for how you deal with it. How you react to stuff, yeah. exactly. And whether you, you are going to carry stuff. it around. Yeah. Yeah, and, or if you are just 
be able to let it go and then, yeah. you know, oh, no, score I don't let you. go, but I can handle things. I don't do let go. I'm very vengeful. Are you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Isn't that funny? <laughs> Real? No. I don't on. act out on anything, but I have fantasies in my head. Nothing violent, but, you know. I what, just... are they like, are they like dead rats in Kitty Flanagan's letterbox? No, and I love Kitty Flanagan. <laughs> I love Kitty and I love Julia too. No, no, no. It's I'm just joking. A, I'm joking. It was just a very strange time where you have another thing. One of my goals when I was younger was to do a CD. And I remember I was so excited and I recorded all the songs and do it. You mean recorded it myself? An yeah, yeah. It was oh, yeah. only it was like an EP, so it was do four, a CD. four, four songs, four songs, an album, a CD. Didn't they call them that anymore? <laughs> I want to record an do MP, a CD. MP3. That's what we'd say back in the nineties. We did a CD. Okay. And I did my CD, and that was like, oh, now what do I do with it? And I feel like a lot of my stuff is like, in, in when I was younger, was like I'd work so hard towards something. And there's none of this crowdfunding bullshit. Everything was self-financed. And it was – things felt very anticlimactic. Like getting into un- my university course was like all I wanted. Like I just wanted to be amongst my people, creative people, and be learning and be performing um, be, and be, to be told how wonderful and talented I was. And that didn't necessarily happen – in that order or to the extent I thought it would. So it was a bit anticlimactic. And then the thing with Full Frontal where it's like it was my dream to be on a sketch comedy show and it still is, it's what I want to do. And and then to to have my role lessened, you know, um, to not and be on the show. why don't they fucking tell you? Like, it, like I know... I don't bear any hard feelings or no, grudges. I, I understand. Look, you know what, probably, I probably wasn't match fit either. Maybe, you know, my strengths were in the music and maybe, you know, like I... I Maybe found it a bit daunting trying to learn the lines overnight. I do. I will because it's about failure, so I can be brutally honest. I remember one of the sketches on Full Frontal was I had to play this kind of British BBC news reporter, and and we were out on location. And I remember one of the one of the segment producers. I don't know what her job was. She's saying you can't you can't stuff. She didn't say it. This is not verbatim because I don't want to misquote her. But it was something along the lines of you can't stuff it up tomorrow because we're filming. It's an outdoor broadcast and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they go to a lot of expense finding a location and the whole cast was there, really big crew, all the catering on set and I couldn't remember my lines and I kept – I was so like – I was so overwhelmed by it and I fucked it up big time. So I think that may have been one of the – I mean, I kind of got it and there was no – there was so much pressure. I felt so much pressure and I was stupid. I shouldn't have listened to that woman. I shouldn't have taken all of that on board. But again, you're 24. I'm so 24, you're going to be like, you're going to be. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't stuff this up. You know, I went home and tried to learn the lines and learn the lines. I probably thought I knew them, but I didn't truly, I didn't know them once I was on set. I knew them, but once I was on set and there was all this other stuff happening, all went out the window and there was no teleprompter or anything. And in the end, what they had to do was I had to go into the studio and stand in front of the green screen and they superimposed or whatever they do, chroma key, the, what we shot, the backdrop, and I read off the teleprompter and I felt like the biggest worthless piece of shit. Fuck. But it looked fine. Yeah. On the screen it looked absolutely fine, but I think I think that was not a great start for me on that show, not being able to remember the lines. I mean, there was a lot of dialogue. It was like doing a news report, but it's like... And I... I would never, ever have allowed that to happen to myself again. I would be – I'm so – make sure I'm so prepared now. Like mm. I really – when mm. I learn something, I really, really, really learn it. And every audition I go for, 
here it's different to Australia. You can have your, they, the sides. They call your script your sides. You have your sides in your hand and you can refer to them. And I always try to really – I mean, I always know my lines. I would never go to an audition not knowing my lines. But you did learn the lines for this um, BBC sketch. I did. I did learn it, but I think I was just thrown by everything that was right. happening on set and yeah. the pressure and um, – you, you can't prepare for those variable things no, that no, are going to affect no. it. no. Yeah, but that was that was very disappointing. That was that felt like a big failure. Mm. But you get over it. Yeah, you do. Well, you sort of take something from it, like which would be learn your now lines. prepare. <laughs> learn your lines. We'll prepare, prepare. Like being really prepared. You are really prepared on set. I try to be. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's always a privilege to be on set. It is. It is a privilege. I mean, it's such a it's it's such a wonderful exhilarating experience to be on a set, to be part of something, especially something that you haven't created. Something you have created, it's a different kind of buzz. It's like very self um Well, it's like they chose me. They chose me and I can't fuck up and I want to do the best possible job, you know, mm. and not waste their time and bring something fresh and bring something perhaps they weren't expecting me to bring to it. So, um yeah. There's a weird fucking balance. Like there's a weird balance of... I've worked with people that have been really self-confident, just full of themselves, just know that they're good, right? Yeah. Turn up on set, don't learn a script, but nail it. Mm. They don't learn it. They'll read it beforehand and just fucking nail it. No, I'm not one of but those But then they're people. self-destructive in other ways, Yeah, you know, but just happen to be able to do that sort of thing. And then they're not thinking about it and the performance is good. And perhaps that's what happened with your audition. You weren't thinking about it and the performance is good. There's always a constant thing to get actors out of their heads yes like stop yes. thinking about what you have to be doing or yeah. how you have to be looking mm. and just listen to the person across from you yeah, yeah. um that's that's i've seen yeah it, mm. that's that's what I, I think is the ultimate goal and um I you think, mean you have to listen to the other person it's not all about me <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and i and i find i find like like this one particular person that i've worked with who doesn't learn a script and the only reason he gets through the scene is because he's desperately listening to everybody else oh, and wow. responds in a way that you'd be you'd respond, knowing the general gist of it because he's just read a script five minutes ago. But that's a, that's a different kind of skill set. That mm. so that's that situation. Yeah, and I think it's like, yeah, are you, are you like a people pleaser? Do you think you want to be liked you know or you want to be? I think as a performer, yes. Because I think how, where I've struggled is because most of my work and my livelihood has been doing through live, live comedy, doing stand-up shows, and I've had to be every man's comic. I really have had to be. So, um, yeah, I'm part of the LGBTQI, et cetera, et cetera. I'm the L or the, the D, the dormant, the non-functional, um, <laughs> not happening, just whatever, idle. Um, but... Can I make a living purely from doing gigs within the gay community? Absolutely not, you know. No. And would I want to just do those gigs? Yeah, probably because they're pretty cool. They're yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. There's usually food and stuff. But um, <laughs> um, but then and so then I've got to do like irregular mainstream comedy clubs, which I love doing too. Then I've got to do kind of corporate gigs where it's completely different, where you can't, oh, yeah. you have to kind of monitor yourself and censor yourself and maybe I wouldn't talk so much about being gay and being this and that and that. You have and so amid, much material and you swearing. have to, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's like it's also about being authentic. You feel like you lose a bit of authenticity because you're not talking about 
stuff that's true to you because you're trying to find common ground. I think with every gig I try and do, you're trying to find common ground because you want to have build a rapport with the audience. You want to have this commonality. You want to have a shared experience. Um, something, something that people will go, oh, it's something that you want to resonate with people, right? Well, I find anyway. Yeah. So that's, that's challenging. And then you, you, I kind of do everything, the whole spectrum, like you're getting everyone in the audience, like, yeah, like even now people say, oh, what about college gigs? It's like I'm a 45-year-old woman, they're 20, but then most of the gigs I do, the audiences are 22. So there's also an added challenge of trying to be um, relevant you know, yeah, I can talk about being perimenopausal, but do do twenty year olds necessarily want to hear about that? Well, too fucking bad they're going to hear about it. <laughs> but then I've got to, I want to find other things. I don't want to alienate people. I want to bring people in. I don't want to alienate and make people question what what the hell is she talking about. It's got to be that's that's really that's. So it's challenging. It's, it's different to most stand-ups because most stand-ups are like, either you like me or you hate me. Yeah, there's that too. I still feel that. But I feel because I have to make a living and, you know, I'm not a household name and I'm not getting the mega bucks just yet that I have to cater for everyone. And it's a mind fuck because it's like I, you're asking me if do I want to – what was the question about being – you want to be liked or – Yeah, people-pleasing. Yeah, because I have mm. to because it's, yeah, it's, it's part my of your survival. Job. It's part of my job. Um, but when I can be my true authentic self, when I do say do a job for like LGBT or whatever, it's, it feels amazing because yeah. I'm not censoring myself. I'm talking about little, you know, nuanced things that are like very specific to say middle-aged gay women, you know. Yeah. Um, Which might is be, still funny to might, me. Yeah, oh, I'm telling you. And, and the recycling joke yeah, is yeah, really there's good. There's all that. And I prefer to do those shows where I can talk about the little nuanced specific things to my subculture. But um <laughs> but then you got but then I probably get bored of doing that too. So I do like to be challenged. Because that I do put like, pigeonholes you, that's put yeah, you in yeah, a category. That's, well, it's a bit like the musical comedy. Which you're not. Thing. Yeah. I would do I just want to do musical comedy shows. No. I so don't. No. No. No, you do it's it's very smart. I don't want to listen to the other comics play the three chords on their guitar. That sounds horrible. <laughs> no, but I do, I do. I know the musical com- comedians that I've worked with have been amazing. We, we had a very fun this show. This is so funny. We're so scared to shit talk other people. I like, can't do it because if people were shit talking no, now, I'd feel really upset. Now, like on that though, on the um, LGBTQI thing, mm. didn't it, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't it take you a few years to actually incorporate that into your yes, act? Yes, it did and I pick and choose and I still pick and choose. I actually talk about it in my act about having an imaginary boyfriend and who works at Home Depot, which is like Bunnings and his Craig. I talk a little bit about him now. Um, and have had to create this imaginary boyfriend. For, 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 for sets here. Yeah, yeah, I talk about States. that. I talk about that on stage here. You know what? I've, I used to be very ambiguous. I used to not talk about it at all. Mm. Then I started to be more ambiguous about it and I just thought I've got nothing to talk about. I don't have kids. I don't have a husband. I don't have a job where I can talk about I can't get on stage and talk about the other comics on, on, that I've worked with. Oh, oh, Sharon, that girl that I worked with at that comedy club in in Taos, New Mexico. Oh, I fucking hated her. Like I can't. Talk you know about how that is. You know how that is at comedy <laughs> clubs <laughs> where people just do this thing at comedy clubs. You know That's that right, where they go and help themselves to like beers and stuff in the fridge. Um, no, there's there's nothing to talk about. 
So I don't. So I thought I have to talk about this because this is part of who I am, and this is what I, I think it's funny. And I'm I sick of. I'm not an observational comic. Like I don't give a fuck what other people are doing. I'm more interested yeah. in myself, and I want to tell my stories. Um, that's part of why I do this because I have a voice and I can talk about my life and my relay my very fascinating stories to people. Um, so that's part. In part, I've been talking about me being a, a gay lady because I don't have any fucking thing else to talk about. Is that what it was? It's I part of it. Was... Part oh, of it. Okay. And also part of it, yes, to be honest. But also it just felt like a natural progression. It's like, you know, and I think comedy's changed. It's really evolved. It's become more rather than joke, 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 joke. It's more anecdotal, more storytelling. And it's part of my story. So I can't omit it. Yeah. Otherwise, where do I go? What do I fill in the gap with? My boyfriend Craig that yeah. works at Bunnings it doesn't quite sit right. Because I I do remember that actually happening. So we see a lot of your gigs and stuff like that. I mean, I knew I knew you had a profile from when I worked at a production company and I was cutting you in a commercial Were that you? week. And that night I went to the one that of... didn't get to air. That one was it? I think so. Oh, was it? <laughs> <laughs> maybe because I cut it. Maybe. No. Um, I was cutting this commercial when you were in it and then that week I was like looking at um, stand-up at uh, – was a place in Paddington? Subway. I can't remember. Subway in Paddington. And I was like, oh, there's that same woman that was in the oh. – uh, and it actually opened my eyes to like people don't just do one thing. No. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I knew you were kind of like mm. getting up there in the bees. Yeah. Um, at the time but then I remember would see you at gigs and it wasn't mentioned and then yeah gradually it was becoming part of the act but in a way that's like you're not going oh that's the gay comic there was no there's none of no, that and I think that was my fears yeah. being labelled it's like I hate labels I don't the, I remember oh don't you just feel like a human being it's don't a you human just, being yeah, with yeah, yeah. just sharing experiences some, some are true some are fictional I remember doing the Melbourne International Comedy Festival and there was a gay night and and so I wasn't really out. I mean, I'm still pick and choose who I... I mean, it's it's such a non-issue. I find totally. it really boring. I don't think of myself as being out or in. I'm just existing, totally. you know, yeah. in my little collapsible Ikea closet. So I remember it was the gay and lesbian night. They called it the, the dyke and fag comedy night. Right. Hold on, but, I'm just going to move my ass. So, something like that. Something like that. I keep knocking over and the plant. I was... And my name was on the board, on the chalkboard up outside the Melbourne Town Hall under the this dyke and whatever fag night, whatever they called it. And I remember being so mortified by it because I just was kind of closeted. This is this was a long time ago, mind you. I was closeted, and also the label and to just the label the category so dyke felt, and then the felt, list. It, it made it was something like that. It was something that felt very demeaning. Um, um, and I remember being mortified and I remember going to the bathroom actually hitting my head against the door and that's something that I don't do because I just felt so frustrated. I felt like I'd still been doing stand-up for a while but I felt like I'd been reduced to this and it just felt, I felt dirty. It was another hand sanitizer moment where I wanted to douse myself in hand sanitizer because yeah. I, felt, I felt very vulnerable too, like, that was the whole thing. No one gave a shit and I don't know where all this this came from, this fear of letting people know I was gay. It's like... No one gave a shit and I was in, living in a creative world with pretty tolerant people and many of which well, were... You've got a tolerant family and stuff, Tolerant right? family, yeah. live, you know, hanging out with comics who are pretty relaxed and groovy about, for the most part, about all of that kind of stuff. Um, 
but I just felt I felt dirty about it, and I hated being up on that blackboard, that chalkboard. I just was felt, ugh. Yeah. and I think that so I think that kind of scarred me for a little while. Yet I'd always be doing like Mardi Gras nights and queer comedy nights, and I was perfectly comfortable doing that. But in the mainstream, I would probably not talk about it yeah. or I'd talk about it but I'd be ambiguous about it. And then I got to a point where this is so ridiculous. Um, I can't lie about who I am. And even though I'm not, I'm really truly not in people's face about my sexuality because it's so boring and I, I hate saying the word sexuality because it's not about sex. It's about the uality, whatever that is. Yeah. It's so <laughs> Uality, I like it's, that. It's about the uality. Um and it's just, it's just like, it's so secondary. Oh, I, I'm with a lady and we mostly do duality. We don't do the other thing anyway. <laughs> it's about the duality. It's about wearing each other's clothes. It's about fighting. It's about borrowing someone else's sanitary napkins when you're short. It's, it's so much more than the first syllable of that word. That's what I'm trying to say. It's about a relationship. It's about who you love, who you're attracted to. And it's just, but I've, felt dirty being labelled because I think I keep thinking people are focusing on the, the sex bit and yeah, that and made me feel very uncomfortable. And it's out of your control. Yes. It's someone else's label mm-hmm. out of your control. Mm-hmm. If you have the ownership and you have the voice and you choose what you say when you say it, yes. it's the uality. Exactly, exactly, the uality. Yeah. yeah. But I guess I want to sort of ask you what now that you're on the way and you've got this these couple of like massive parts, mm. um What's the big picture for you? Like, and, and is it scary to visualise it and, and say it out loud or can you say it out loud? You know what? We were talking earlier about, you know, I think I'm usually outcome orientated. So I'll do something with the hope that it will result in something and it'll grow and it'll blossom. Um, but now I'm thinking about, you know, I'm creating my, my own web series. It's a sketch comedy series and it's called The Middle Ages and it's right. all about being middle-aged. And it's funny because in that, I, everything I write, I'm heterosexual. I have a husband. I have a husband. I never have a same-sex partner. Creatively, I'm heterosexual. Don't ask me why. In the real world, I'm not. But it's, it's very strange. I don't know why I write like that. <laughs> I think I've, once again, I'm trying to be every, every man's comic. So I'm trying to just appeal to as many people as possible. Anyway, that, that'll, that'll evolve and change the more I write and the more sketches I get out there creating all this content. Correct. Process, not yes, outcome. Yes, process, Correct. exactly. Yeah. So I'm doing my web series. It's called The Middle Ages and, and, and I think it's very funny. Um, it, they're very short, short and punchy because that's apparently the young people, that's what they watch. Um, and it's crazy and fun and really I like, hopefully think really, really different and I think people will hopefully be as excited as I am about it. So I'm hoping something will come of that. Either I can develop that into a proper half-hour sketch comedy show, um, which uh, would be the dream. I've been writing a film for three years with a friend. Hopefully something oh, yeah. will come happen with that. Um, hoping for that now that I've started to be booked for more acting jobs, my roles will become bigger and the dream is to be like a series regular on a... I know I said regular with on a, with an American accent on a show. Oh, I've got big dreams. I've never given yeah. up. Like I remember jokingly saying, "I'm going to be movie." Star. What, are you, what are you doing in LA? I'm going to be a movie star, and I would say it with a straight face and in jest. But there was a sense of sincerity there. Yeah, I want to yeah. Be a movie star. it's going to happen. And now that I've been booked for this film, it's like 
sucked in everyone. I said in jest that I was going to be a movie star and now I'm going to be a movie star. <laughs> sucked in. Those sucked in. pricks on word. full frontal. Oh, no, I love them. No, they were great. They didn't fire me. That's they, just com- reduced, they just reduced my role and I do understand why now. I, I was, okay. yeah. I was, Sorry. It's just my little. Yeah, I, I get very, you say you're vengeful. I get very bitter. Do? I get very like, fuck I'll you. you fucking. I get that too in the privacy of my own home. Absolutely. Fuck <laughs> yeah. Love swearing. I will. I'll. I'll say it, and then I'll like regret it. Yeah. Um. So that's what. That's the big picture for you. The big picture is to get something going with my own project, with my sketch comedy stuff, and I've written three pilots now, and I've joined a writers group, an American writers group here, which I find very helpful to get one of my shows up. You know, that's what I would really, really love is to Great. be a showrunner, even though I don't know what that is. But I want to be a showrunner and and gaffer girl and catering girl. And yeah, it'd be nice not to have to wear so many hats. It'd be nice just to be a writer, creator, actor, maybe director, and then let someone else do bloody taking things back to Ross Dress for Less. Yeah. Let someone else do the wardrobe. Let someone else make crackers. Totally. Yeah, make crackers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, thanks, Jackie. Thanks. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. It's been fun talking about myself. I'm so much more fascinating than I thought I was. Damn straight. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. So So thank you so much for sharing that with me. My pleasure. All right. Bye, Jackie. Bye. Bye. Jackie has persevered and sacrificed a lot for a long time to achieve her dreams of getting a break in Hollywood. And she's finally there. So today's takeaway is even when things seem hopeless, don't give up. Your success could be just around the corner. Today's listener fail comes from Matthias. In 2010, Matthias came to Melbourne from France and fell in love with a girl named Emma. She came to visit him in Paris and they decided to move to Melbourne together. So Matthias made the move on a student visa and eventually secured a de facto visa with Emma. At this point, he was getting a bit lonely in his new country without any friends and not having much in common with Emma's friends either. That is, until his best friend from France moved to Melbourne as well and they started to go out together and enjoy the nightlife more and more. And with that came cheating. Never a good move, Matthias. He even fell for the girl he was cheating on Emma with and they broke up halfway through the visa that would allow Matthias to stay in Australia. It's four years later, and by this point he had a full-time job, hobbies, great friends and workmates, and was finally settled. But because he was no longer with Emma, he had to go back to France. He says he will never forget the feeling of being on the plane, leaving Australia. Quote, Like when you close your eyes and go to sleep, just dark. I didn't know what to expect. He also says that the experience made him scared of relationships until this very day. Well, Matthias, I could get on my high horse and tell you not to cheat, as obviously the whole sequence of events was set in motion by this stupid mistake. But I think the real issue here to take away is to never wrap your life or your fate in another person. The freedom to move forward on your own is like no other, and the right person for a relationship will fall into your journey perfectly, as they will be as independent and accomplished as you are. In relationships, we should want each other, not need each other. That's my view. And it's taken me many years of needing the other person and it all going to shit for me to realise that. I hope you do take another risk, Matthias, but one that doesn't hurt other people and that it works out for you. If you'd like to share your fails with me, you can contact me on my Facebook page or Twitter. Fail with Greta Lee Jackson is presented by me. Audio production is by Darcy Thompson. Listener.